Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord, as we look at it, you would speak to our hearts, that we would uh, know the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would know you at work amongst us this morning, uh, leading us to greater faith and service. In Jesus' name, amen. Voluntourism. Have you ever come across that word? It's, a, it's an interesting word, isn't it? An amalgamation. I like to make up words. I think that one was made up as well. The idea, basically, is that um, you can volunteer to go and do something helpful, but actually what you're after is a holiday. <laughs> um, you might be, uh, I don't know, building a building, giving some medical help, handing, handing out supplies, all kinds of things that people maybe can do. But actually the reason that you're going is not, I mean, you want to help, yes, but more, you know, it's sold as the experience or a chance to travel or whatever it might be. So some of the secular adverts go for some of these things. Sadly, it can often go badly wrong. Um, I remember reading of a, a situation where um, some folk had gone to build a classroom for a school. Um, and they'd done a whole day's work. They'd worked really hard. They got dirty and sweaty. They were really tired. And in the morning, the local builders came and took down everything that they'd done because they weren't builders and they didn't really know what they were doing. And what they'd built was unsafe. In short-term mission, we don't want to be involved <laughs> in, in voluntourism. Uh, what we're doing needs not to be geared up for the people who are going, but needs to be geared up for the people that you're serving there are more dangers in short-term mission, aren't there? Um, it's very easy to go thinking that we have the answers. Now, we're from a good church, and we've had this good education, and we have this and that. And if you end up going to a developing country, you can think that means, therefore, we know what to do better than you do. You'll be sadly disappointed when you arrive, if that's what you think. It's easy to have this kind of savior syndrome where you think you'll be able to do things for them that they could never do for themselves. Of course they can't. That's why we're going. No, it's not. Here, in Philippians chapter 2, from verse 19, which we've had so beautifully read for us, Paul is effectively talking about two short-term missionaries. He's talking about Timothy, who he wants to send to Philippi for a time, and he's talking about Epaphroditus, who they sent to him for a time. And he has a very significant purpose for talking about these two. I'm sure if you've read any of Paul's letters, you'll know he doesn't talk about things for no purpose. These two are great examples of a Christ-like attitude, the kind of attitude that is required in short-term mission. And he's using them as examples uh, to teach, encourage, maybe correct the church at Philippi. So as we look at them, we are going to see, I think, uh, lessons for us, general principles for gospel short-term mission. But because actually Paul's main aim is not to teach about that, but to teach the church, we're going to find out about gospel life day by day, week by week, which really ought to be the foundation of any short-term mission. 
And so if you're here today and you're visiting, maybe you've not put your faith in the Lord Jesus yet, what you're going to see from this passage is, is Christian life, what it should be like, what its priorities are. And we might stray a little bit around Philippians to see actually where its foundation lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've called my sermon this morning, Serving the Interests of Christ. Serving the Interests of Christ. I've got four things for us. I can count four things for us to think about. Serving the interests of Christ by giving your best. Serving the interests of Christ rather than serving your own interests. Serving the interests of Christ at cost to yourself. And serving the interests of Christ in the power of God. So that's where we're going. Serving the interests of Christ by giving your best. I'd like to start with Paul. Paul's situation as he writes this letter is not, well, not what you or I, I think, would say was great. He's in prison. In fact, his situation is quite serious. He's not sure whether he's going to live or die. You can look, he says, uh, down in verse, is it verse 20? That with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He doesn't know whether he's going to live and be set free and get to visit them, or if he's going to die. He's in prison because he's been preaching the gospel and the authorities don't like it. So they've arrested him, and he's yet to find out what his fate will be. He actually is confident that he'll be set free, and that is indeed what happened. But at this point, he doesn't know for definite. It's a pretty dire situation. Anyway, he has received news about the Philippian church, and he's worried. He's got a really strong relationship with this church. It's a church he planted. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. But he's concerned. Um, concerned so much that he wants to send people back to them. He wants to get good news from them. So he's sending this letter, and he hopes, verse 19, in the future to send Timothy, so that Timothy can go, spend some time with them, encourage them in the gospel, and come back so that Paul might be cheered by news of the church at Philippi. He also wants to send Epaphroditus back to them. Epaphroditus is one of them who's come to Paul um, and he was badly ill. They've heard about this. So they're worried about Epaphroditus, their brother who they've sent. And Epaphroditus is anxious because they're worried about him and now he's better. And he wants to go back. And so Paul is saying, well, I think it's necessary to send him back. But these guys are not just anybody. He is not sending to them, you know, that person who always causes a little bit of trouble in the team. Actually, it would be good to send that person. We'd be good to be shot of them, wouldn't we? No, he's sending his best. Do you see what he says about Timothy, verse 20 of chapter 2? I have no one like him. I have no one like him. He is someone who has proved himself in working with Paul as a son with his father. Timothy is... So valuable to Paul. 
And so Paul sends him to Philippi, sending his best. Epaphroditus, similar. You can look at how Paul talks about him in verse 25 of chapter 2. Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Someone who was willing to almost die in order to take care of Paul on behalf of the church at Philippi. Someone who should be honored, you see in verse 29, is it? Yeah, honor such men. Honor people like this. These are the kind of people that you need to look at because you'll see the gospel at work in their lives. Paul's situation is bad, but his love for them means he is willing to give the best that he has. That is a cost for him. You can um, imagine, perhaps, in a large primary school, um, you're in year six, maybe you're a senior teacher and you have a brilliant TA, and your class, the progress is going sky high. And at least 50% of that is because of the teaching assistant and how good they are. But one of the other classes actually is struggling at the moment. And so you send your teaching assistant to that class to help them. It's going to be at cost to your reputation, isn't it? Because the progress is not going to be as high because you haven't got this teaching assistant anymore. But actually, you know that class really needs the help. Paul is sending his best. He doesn't send the teaching assistant that always bellyaching about this, that, and the other. He sends the teaching assistant who is the best. And that's what we need to do in short-term mission. Paul understood the need at Philippi. He understood who they needed, and he sent the best he had to meet those needs. And that needs to be our attitude in short-term mission. That we're careful. There's nothing so frustrating if you're a long-term missionary to receive a team that's full of people who are inappropriate to be helpful. And it just ends up being a burden and draining you. But there's nothing so good as to receive a team that is full of the best. Not so they can shine their knuckles. <laughs> but those who actually really know the Lord Jesus well, love him, and will love you, and will love your ministry, and will be genuinely helpful. I was thinking about this, praying it through, and it struck me that this is like God, isn't it? This is what God does. He sends his best. He sent his son. The father sent the son to be the savior of the world. He sent the one person who could do it. Christ came willingly, didn't he? This is gospel stuff. This is gospel-like. Serving the interests of Christ by giving your best. Serving the interests of Christ rather than serving your own interests. Let's have a look then at Timothy, verse 19 to verse 24. There's nobody else that Paul has who is like Timothy. In his team at the moment... 
Timothy stands out. Why does he stand out? Well, he tells us. I have no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I do wonder if Timothy has a a particular connection to the church at Philippi. Um, Reading Acts, it looks like Philippi was the first church plant that uh, Timothy was involved with. He was there in, um, in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. He just joined the team. But he has this genuine concern for their interests. Um, This is a damning phrase, isn't it? Verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. I wonder if partly he's referring to people he talked to earlier who were trying to cause him problems by preaching the truth. You can look at that in chapter 1. If you've not read it before, it's very intriguing. Uh, He talks about those who proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They're preaching genuinely the gospel, so he says, what does it matter? Christ is proclaimed, (laughs) but it's a bit weird, isn't it? Maybe he has those in mind. They all seek their own interests, but not Timothy. Timothy is genuinely concerned for your welfare, he says to them. Because he's concerned about the interests of Christ. It's the opposite of these who are seeking their own interests, not the interest of Jesus Christ. It's worth noting, isn't it, that actually, if you are first concerned for the interests of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be like Timothy, genuinely concerned for the welfare of your brothers and sisters. It isn't that, that... Um, There's that phrase, isn't there? So heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. Actually, if you're correctly heavenly-minded, you will be more earthly good than anybody else in the world. That's Timothy. And so we know, don't we, that Timothy will go with humility, not seeking his own interests, but those are the people that he's going to. Perhaps, again, you know... Philippians in chapter 2, verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. But he doesn't stop there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that is looking for the interest of others, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Again, it's like Christ, isn't it? It's like Christ. Christ came not self-interested, but interested first in honoring his Father, obedient to the point of death, which worked out in our interests. Do you see again how being most concentrated on honoring God leads to loving the people around you? It's not surprising, because God is love. What's more, Timothy has proved that over time. Verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. I don't know if you have many um, father and son businesses in in Richmond. Um, I'm always kind of predisposed towards those kind of businesses, things that are in the family and have gone down the family line and probably comes from growing up in a small place in Dorset. 
But it's great. The son has worked with his father. He's picked up his father's trade. Um, Maybe a, a cobbler. Maybe a baker. Who knows? Maybe an accountant. And continues that family business doing the same thing with the same skill, the same precision, the same quality. Proving that he's worthy to take on the work from his father. Timothy has done that. And they know it because he was there when the church was planted. He was involved right from the start of their church. If we're going to think about short-term mission, we need to think about who we're interested in. It's important that we're genuinely interested in the people that we're going to serve. That might be support of a longer-term missionary. It might be straight um, evangelistic work in a community. But your interest in them will only ever really be right if, first of all, your interest is in Christ. It's not your own reputation. You're not looking for experience of travel or whatever it might be. But you're first of all interested in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is being like Jesus himself, isn't it? We need to ask ourselves, am I living my life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? Chapter 1, verse 27. Am I doing nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility counting others more significant than myself? Chapter 2, verse 4. It's so important in short-term mission. It's really important, particularly if it's a a really short mission, because it's really concentrated and everything starts to, to, to arrive on top of you very quickly. But my question is more than that. My question is, is this attitude being proved week by week? Are you serving your own interests in church, or are you serving the interests of the person who sat next to you, who sat in front of you, who sat behind you, who sat on the other side of you? And if you're visiting today, or maybe you've been here a long time, but you've yet to put your faith in this Jesus, I wonder if this pricks your conscience. I wonder as you think about yourself, you think, actually, I'm most concerned about my own interests. And that is not like God. And that requires repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Serving the interests of Christ by giving your best rather than serving your own interests and at cost to yourself. I don't think it takes a genius to work out that if you are most concerned for other people's interests, first the interest of Christ and then for others, it's going to be costly for yourself. It means there's things that maybe you'd want to do for yourself that you're going to say no to so that you can serve other people. What that meant for Epaphroditus 
was almost dying. It's stark, isn't it? Verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. Verse 30, he nearly died. Why? For the work of Christ. Now, I want to know what happened, don't you? We're not told. It's really frustrating when you get things like that in the Bible, isn't it? Tell us what happened. We don't know. But here is someone that they sent to Paul to meet Paul's needs while he's in prison. And it led to him getting ill almost to the point of death. And he was willing to do it because this was the work of Christ. It's very reminiscent of what Paul says about Christ himself. Christ himself was obedient up to the point of death, I think is the phrase. Verse 8 of chapter 2. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We haven't got time to look at that. I wish we had. Christ going all the way into death to serve his Father and to love us. Epaphras going nearly to that point himself in his service of his Savior. God, in his mercy, kept him alive. Paul was very pleased about this. You can see it then in verse 27. God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. If you're going to do short-term mission, you need to be ready for it to cost. Um, I was reading something even this week, actually, that was saying, if, if you're going to support a missionary who lives and works in a dangerous area, be willing to go into that dangerous area. They live there. You're just going for maybe two weeks or maybe even two years. I remember friends of ours visiting a missionary in South America. Uh, He came and picked them up in his car, and as they're driving through the city, um, two robbers run up to the car, smash the windows, and they grab her bag and run. It's got her money, it's got her passport, it's got all these things in it. The missionary stops the car, jumps out, and runs after them until they turn around and point a gun at him, at which point he stops. The next day, they were due to go into the shanty town with him. This is not a place that tourists go. It's not a place that would be particularly safe for you if anybody thinks maybe you might have money. Understandably, they were quite concerned about this trip. But they prayed, and they put it in the Lord's hands, and they went, and they were blessed, and the missionary was blessed by their going. Are you ready to serve the interests of Christ, to do the work of Christ at cost to yourself? Now, most situations, it's unlikely to be that you're going to nearly die. But if, for instance, you visit PIZ, you might get malaria, unless you take the medication. (laughs) 
You might get bitten by a cobra. Helen got spat in the eye by a cobra. Some of you might have read that. It's not as safe as it is in Richmond. It just isn't. Are you willing to go still for the work of Christ? Or are we only willing to do what we can easily manage? Oh, yeah, I can do that. No, that's, that's not going to be hard. That's not going to be difficult. Um, it's going to be quite enjoyable. Our missionary in Barbados, or <laughs> whichever it is. Or are we putting our entire lives in the hands of Christ? Serving first his interests. Ready for the cost. The only way to do that, I think, is in the power of God. I don't think there's any other way that, that, that we're going to do that well. Paul's purpose, of course, in writing about Timothy and Epaphroditus isn't actually to encourage the Philippians into short-term mission. It happens to be really helpful for us as we think about it, but it's not his purpose. His purpose is to talk to the church in Philippi about humility and unity, which is found by serving the interests of Christ first. The great irony for Paul is that his relationship with the church is really strong. We'll see some of that this evening. His relationship with the church is great, but their relationships with each other within the church are not so good. Hence, he's having to talk about things like, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Why does he have to write that unless there is some kind of rivalry and conceit in the church? Later on, he has to talk about two people. He names them. It's very unusual for Paul to name people, and he's serious when he does. Chapter 4, verse 2, and says, stop arguing with each other. Agree in the Lord. We work together in the gospel. What's going on? And with these two examples, we see it's perhaps easier to maintain a close relationship with someone that you don't live with, <laughs> someone who's further away. It's no less important to maintain that relationship, but it's just as important to retain those relationships within the church. How can we do that? How can we be people who are constantly seeking to give our best to others, who are not trying to serve our own interests, but the interests of Christ, and therefore genuinely loving the person sat behind you today? How can we be deliberately doing those things at cost to ourselves? Imagine we had a world like that. Imagine, well, let's, let's just go for London, shall we? That would be enough. Imagine if the whole of London, everybody who lived in London, lived like that all the time. You wouldn't need to lock your car when you got out, would you? What a different place that would be. But we know what we're like. If you live in a community like that, there's going to be someone who just folds their arms. This is great. Everyone's looking after me. Fantastic. And someone sees them doing that and how well it works, and they fold their arms. And you know, there's, there's slowly, more and more people fold their arms, and eventually everybody's just out for their own interests and realize, I can't fold my arms anymore because no one's looking after me. I've got to fight. 
welcome to our world. How can we live like this? Well, it strikes me that we have to have faith in someone who will look after all our needs. If our focus is going to be on the needs of others at cost to ourselves, we have to be sure that there's someone who is going to supply all of our needs, don't we? It's the last thing Paul says to them in the letter. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That doesn't sound measly to me. (laughs) That sounds amazing. How is it that you can be the person who is able to give and honor Christ in all that you do through faith in the God who will give you all you need all the time? Not all you want, all you need. Not self-interest, but his interest. If you're not a Christian today, I want you to see really clearly that Christ is most interested in your salvation. That section that we read from chapter 2, verse 5, his attitude to honor his father to the point of death on a cross was his loving you for salvation. That he genuinely is the one who will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That God in all his omnipotent power uses that to save you. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you already know that, don't you? Doesn't that set us free then to serve one another, to not seek our own interests, to love the person sat in front of you, sat to your right or your left? And that is the attitude that is required in short-term mission. Whether it's two days or two weeks or two years, serving the interests of Christ because Christ has served you and he won't stop. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent your son to be the savior of the world. We praise you for this great mercy and glory and that you don't stop, that you are faithful and just and continue in your grace. Lord, I pray for each one of us that knows you, Lord, that we would know you better. Lord, we'd know the power of your resurrection and therefore the ability, Lord, to suffer for you for the sake of your glory and the love of those around us. And Lord, we pray for any today who are listening to this who don't know you, that they too would find in you a great and glorious Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.